Does God really have a true church on the earth today? Is it even possible to identify His remnant people among the thousands of denominations? If so, how does Revelation describe Jesus' last day church? Grab your Bibles as we study the characteristics of God's followers in these end times. Hi, I'm Cammie, and let's explore the Bible answers to these questions together on Unlocking Bible Prophecies. Chaos is increasing worldwide. There were reports of an active shooter. Divides on politics and a worldwide pandemic are sweeping our globe. It feels like the end of the world. Are we headed into a new world order? What will happen next? Join international speaker Kami Utman on a journey to unlock Bible truth and uncover key answers to your Bible questions. In Cammie's travels around the world, she has documented incredible miracles while facing life and death situations. Join us for Unlocking Bible Prophecies 2.0, which will demonstrate how God has given us guidelines to successfully navigate through what lies ahead. Together, we will see how Bible prophecy is being fulfilled faster than ever before and how we can have hope for the future. Hi friends, I am so excited you have joined us for Unlocking Bible Prophecies. This is a continuing series of presentations exploring the greatest prophecies of the Bible. Tonight is number 12 of 14. I'm so honored to spend this time with you from all around the globe. Remember, you can view any previous program at awr.org forward slash Bible. I want to remind you that these topics build on each other, so it's important that you watch them in order to have a foundation for each successive presentation. Tonight's presentation is really a continuation of last night's program. As we learned about spiritual Babylon and the confusion that she has caused, we also read about God is calling His people out of Babylon now. We can rejoice in the fact that God never calls us out of something unless He's calling us into His something. Jesus says, follow my footsteps. I have left you an example in my life and my teachings. We read the various truths from God's Word, like you and I have been doing here together. Then we take these truths like a map, and we go find a church that upholds and stores all God's truths like treasure. Tonight, we will answer the question, does the Bible really reveal what God's last day church will look like? Stay tuned. Let's pray in preparation for our study, The Remnant. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for bringing us all together. Please empty me of self and fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me as a vessel tonight to describe from your words the remnant and what the characteristics are in your true church, Lord. So it's very clear to all of us on how to find and be a part of your end time group. We love you so much and be with us here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Armand and his wife Clarice live in Madagascar. Every day for work, he rides his bike from shop to shop, selling various products. He enjoys his job, and at the time of this story, they were living far away from the capital city in a remote mountain village. One day, Armand's brother shared that he and their father were daily listening to an interesting radio broadcast. Later that day, when Armand visited the family, they heard the program together. Armand was interested, but... Clarice was unhappy. 
She was a devout Catholic and felt that what was being said on the radio was speaking wrongly against her church. But though Clarice did not like Adventist World Radio programs, her conscience began bothering her, and the only way to quiet it was listening to the only radio program she despised. As Armand listened daily to the radio, he became convinced by the words he heard. Unbeknownst to him, the Lord was working on Clarice's heart as well, and she too was being convicted. Armand finally went to his wife and said, They must find a church which preaches this truth. She happily agreed, and they searched and searched, but the only one they heard about was far away and too far to attend. Then one day, someone told Armand about a church in a nearby village. They went to check it out and found a group meeting on Saturday, just like the radio talked about. Soon the whole family was attending the church every Sabbath, and together they were baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Just like Armand and Clarice, there are millions of people who are seeking for something they can hold on to, something that gives them hope and peace. Many have tried everything the world has to offer, wealth, fame, power, pleasure, and entertainment. Yet they still find their hearts are empty and their lives filled with problems. There certainly is a hunger for genuine Christianity in the hearts of thousands right now. There is a longing for something more than they have, so that longing is not merely for a church, but to be connected with God and His truth. Does God have a church on earth today that is solidly grounded in the Bible? With recent events like COVID-19 and riots around the world, perhaps you are feeling desperate to know Bible truth and how to find God's church. But can you find the right one when there are hundreds of church denominations in the world? Most claim to be God's true church, and all are alike in certain areas and different in others. It would take an entire lifetime to examine the teachings of all these groups. It would be so overwhelming, frustrating, and futile. Tragically, millions share such sentiments. Perhaps you yourself feel that same way tonight. Did you know that in Revelation, God clearly describes His church for these last days? Once you know what He says, you can easily select His true church from among all churches, just like you can easily select your country's flag from all other flags. Let's review our theme. If it's in the Bible, I believe it. If it disagrees with the Bible, then it's not for me. It is no doubt that Satan panics when people begin studying the book of Revelation. He knows God's church is clearly described in this book. He uses every imaginable tactic to prevent us from getting serious over its study. If everyone understood Revelation, Satan's kingdom would be in immediate jeopardy, and God's great name and His church would be lifted up and exalted. When God created us, He planted an innate longing deep within our souls to desire Him, to hunger for Him, to thirst for Him and His Word. As you look back through the history of the Christian church, God always had a people to stand up for Him and proclaim His truth to that generation. In the Old Testament, God instructs His people to have voices like trumpets, to loudly proclaim His name, His truth, like in Isaiah 58.1. We are not to hold back or be afraid of sharing His gospel messages. 
In page and after page of our Bibles, we read incredible examples of how mightily God can work through humans that listen to Him. When people stand up for the truth and are faithful in following the Lord's lead, they are greatly rewarded. Let's look at a favorite, the story of Joshua and the walls of Jericho falling down. It is recorded in Joshua 6, 1-27. through This example vividly demonstrates the miraculous power of God when His people follow His direction. The strategy to conquer Jericho was unique and laid out by God Himself. The key was that Joshua followed God's instructions to the letter. So should we. Jericho is one of the strongest fortresses in the area. Wealthy palaces and temples of luxury, vice and idol worship dominated the land. This was all in defiance of God. So Christ appeared to Joshua and promised victory over this impenetrable city. In direct obedience to the divine command, Joshua marshaled the armies. They were instructed that no assault was to be made. God's plan was to use the most unexpected, innocent method of operation. His ways are always the best, and they're not always our ways. When the people did finally shout, the massive walls collapsed instantly, and obedience to God's commands always brings victory. When we face seemingly insurmountable odds, we must learn that our Jericho victories are won only when we are faithful. There is a vast difference between God's way and man's way. From a military standpoint, it was irrational to storm Jericho with simple marching and trumpet blasts, but we need never to question God's purpose or instructions. We must have faith that God is who He says He is and will do what He says He will do. This story beautifully illustrates how God keeps His every promise always has, always will. The walls of Jericho fell because God said they would. God's promises to us today are just as certain, friend. They are exceedingly great and wonderfully precious. We must simply be instruments in the will of God. Just like Noah listened and obeyed God's instructions over a 120-year period. Now that's a lot of patience and dedication. Noah did not give up and say, Why are you taking so long, Lord? No. Noah trusted in his friendship with God and was ultimately saved because of it. Jesus says in Luke seventeen twenty six, And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. So that says the time just before his second coming will be like Noah's day. How many ways of escape were there in Noah's day? Only one. Genesis 7, 1 says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all of your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. In Noah's day, only eight chose God's way into the ark of safety. In the last days, the Bible says the ark of safety is God's true church who stands for all of God's truths. Was God's one-way message to safety that was preached through Noah popular in the world? (laughs) No. Matthew 7, verses 13 to 16. 
Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. How many faiths or churches did Paul say Jesus has? Ephesians 4, verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. In the last moments before Jesus comes, two groups will form. One group following man's popular word, and one group following God's eternal word. Just like in Noah's day, God has but one boat or church that is going through to safety. Be certain you board the right boat. Jesus died to bring his church into his kingdom. Ephesians 5, 25, 27 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the world, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. In the days of the New Testament, Peter preached powerfully. 3,000 were baptized on the day of Pentecost. As they were baptized, they stepped out and became God's special people to keep His commandments. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special peculiar people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. God's special people were always characterized by obedience. They loved Him enough to obey Him. This group was carved out from the majority by being a commandment-keeping group. God called them from darkness to light, from error to truth, from commandment-breaking to commandment-keeping, into a deeper relationship with Him. When some people listen to a series of meetings like this and they learn new truth, they go through a struggle. They discover new truths from God's Word and it produces a conflict because it calls them to make a change. There is a battle in the mind and they wonder, to follow new truth, will I have to deny everything I believed in the past? Certainly not. Look back at the past and say, I thank God for it. Every church has some truth, some light from God. While we may appreciate our past, we commit ourselves to following all the truth God has for us today. If you were brought up as a Methodist, a Baptist, or a Pentecostal, why not say, God, thank you for the path you have led me on. I will now accept further light because you have blessed me with further truth. So you are not denying anything that was true in your past heritage. You are just leaving off errors that you accepted because they were handed down to you. You're simply letting go of what does not harmonize with God's word. God is calling and you are walking ahead in the fullness of truth. Since God is only one true church, which he will save, what will happen to the sincere Christians in other churches? John 10 verses 16 and 27. And other sheep I have which are not of the fold, Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Here Jesus is pictured as the good shepherd 
with one flock. His people are his precious sheep, his church, and they are his fold. Jesus plainly says that some of his sheep are not yet in his church, but that he will call them and they will follow him into his church. John 17 verse 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. John 8 32, And you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Friends, if we come to God with an open mind, with a seeking spirit and an honest heart, he will reveal his truth to us. But if I come locked in my own opinions or only desire to prove my position, then I will not be unable to understand further truth and discover his will. My own thoughts will influence what I read in his word. We need to pray, Lord, show me the truth, even if it's different from what I have already believed. Through his Holy Spirit, he will reveal his will and his ways. The book of Revelation describes God's faithful people who will cling to truth at any cost. Revelation, the 12th chapter, describes more clearly than any place in the Bible the history of the Christian church. Like a movie, it shows us God's plan and people, down through the ages, along with Satan's vicious attacks. It reveals to us, without a shadow of a doubt, the identifying characteristics of this special group of people called God's church today. The Bible begins in Revelation 12 by describing a woman, a woman who appears in heaven, the bride of Christ. We learned that a woman represents the church in Bible prophecy. A great battle between good and evil ensues. Revelation 12, 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Let's follow the story through Revelation chapter 12. Satan rebels against God in heaven, but Christ wins and Satan loses. Satan is cast out of heaven while God is victorious, as we see in the following text, Revelation 12, 4, and 5. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Jesus is his male child that Satan tried to destroy. Satan, through Herod, passed a decree that all male children under the age of two be killed in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary were forewarned by an angel, and they fled to Egypt, and God preserved them. They escaped the ruler of Rome's death decree. Though the dragon represents Satan, it also has a secondary dual application to pagan Rome. Herod was a Roman ruler whom Satan used to attempt to murder Jesus as an infant. Satan's intentions from the very beginning were to deceive the universe, all the angels, Adam and Eve, all of mankind, to destroy all opponents. What outstanding and extremely crucial facts are mentioned in Revelation 12, 10 to 12? Let's look. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God, day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb 
and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. So we see the accuser Satan is cast down. God's remnant overcame by the blood of the Lamb of Jesus. The devil is angry because his time is short. Three facts are established here. Jesus defeated Satan, the accuser of the brethren, at the cross, and all of us can overcome through the blood of Jesus and by witnessing. The devil is furious. We cannot expect him to behave like a gentleman. Satan is the archenemy. In the wilderness, years later, Satan appeared as an angel of light, tempting Jesus in hopes of destroying him. Through this entire experience found in Matthew 4, and I love how Jesus remains steadfast, with an air of majesty, he says, It is written, You will worship the Lord your God, and Him only will you serve. I command you to leave me, Satan. The great dragon was repulsed and silenced. He has zero power to withstand this imperial dismissal. Jesus has this power and courage because he stays connected to his heavenly father through prayer and quotes scripture as his shield against the devil. He's giving us a perfect example of what we need to do. In Ephesians 6, 10 to 11, says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. On the cross, Satan tried to destroy Christ, but our Lord triumphed again. Jesus' last words are, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And then he draws a deep breath and he gives what seems to be a shout of victory. The words ring out over the hillside. It is finished. Jesus dies triumphantly. There is a peal of thunder, and the very sun seems to go out. Darkness almost as thick as black wool settles over the land, as if the earth has finally seen all it can stand. A terrible earthquake shakes the ground. Jesus had foreshadowed his victory. But Satan could have never anticipated this plot twist. John twelve thirty one to 32 says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world, Satan, be cast out. The ruler of this world, with his evil principles, is about to be cast out. He's going down. Well, how? How will that happen? Will it be with force? Will it be with might? No. Verse 32, Jesus says, If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. When people look at the cross, they encounter a love that draws their hearts to their Savior. Jesus does not force you or manipulate you or deceive you. No, those are Satan's methods. Jesus simply, completely loves you. By giving his own life, he wins the war. He went into the grave and was raised from the dead. Jesus is our only Savior. 
He alone has the power over the grave. Jesus' mission of salvation is accomplished, and he ascends to heaven. After Jesus' ascension, Satan now turns his wrath on the followers of Christ. He must change his tactics. So the evil one intensely pursues each of the disciples as they spread the gospel message. All but one of the disciples died a martyr's death. But to no worry, their reward is great in heaven. After Satan failed in destroying Jesus when he was here on earth, he turned his focus, his fury, and continued to attack the church, represented as the pure woman in white. You know, Satan not only deceives, but he attempts to completely destroy. He persecutes and makes brutal attacks on Christ's followers. Today, Satan has thousands of ways to persecute Christians through family troubles, addictions, depression, loneliness, financial burdens, even total self-destruction. Satan allures them to give up their faith, or he keeps them distracted and so busy that they make no time for the relationship with Jesus, who is their only lifeline to victory. In the days of Constantine, Church and state united. For a while, the church enjoyed the state's favor and unusual popularity. As church and state joined hands, Satan attacked and took the opportunity to fiercely persecute God's true believers. So now in Revelation 12, 6, it tells us, Then the woman, God's church, fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Now remember, in Bible prophecy, one prophetic day equals one literal year. Ezekiel 4 verse 6 says, I have appointed thee each day for a year. Numbers 14 verse 34 After the number of the days in which he searched the land, even 40 days, each day for a year. God's remnant church was in the wilderness for 1,260 years of persecution. There is only one time period in earth's history that can be represented by this particular number of years of Christian persecution, and it reveals so much. This period of tribulation is repeatedly mentioned in the Bible because it is the worst ever that God's people will face up to that time. Matthew 24, 21, For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world, until this time, no, nor shall ever be. I love how Isaiah 59, 19 promises that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. We must hold on to Jesus and His standards, His ways to overcome evil. At this time in history, we see that the popular church and state are still united. Faithful men and women of God clung to the truths of God's word as they hid in seclusion. The wilderness typifies the deserted and remote places of earth. God's people fled for their lives and hid in solitary places of refuge. God's church dared not operate in the open, or else its members would not have survived. God warns us that His true church did not exist openly as an organization during these 1260 years, 
because it fled into the wilderness out of sight. The Waldensians were the first people of Europe to obtain a translation of the Holy Scriptures. Hundreds of years before the Reformation, they possessed the Bible and manuscript in their native tongue. They had the truth, unadulterated, and were persecuted for upholding God's word. History is clear that the papacy, the Pope of Rome, was the power which persecuted Jesus' followers for 1260 years, 538 A.D., to 1798. The period began in 538 AD when papal power became supreme in Christendom due to the letter of Roman Emperor Justinian, which acknowledged her, the Bishop of Rome as the head of all churches. This notorious letter became a part of Justinian's code, the fundamental law of the empire. This brutal time for Christians ended in 1798 when Napoleon's general, Berthier, took the Pope captive. History establishes at least 50 million Christians died for their faith during this period of death decrees by the Roman Catholic Church. Doctrinal unity is achievable only when the Church rules by fear. In the Fifth Lateran Church Council, 1512-1517, Cardinal A. Pucci took note that no dissenters had dared to attend. In the book Romanism and the Reformation, Pucci told the Pope, quote, the whole body of Christendom is now subject to one head, even to thee. No one now opposes. No one now objects. End quote. The irony of the cardinal statement is that shortly afterward, on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, sparking the Protestant Reformation. There are always some who are fearless or who fear God more than man. Satan persecuted the reformers for their solid faith. Their minds were bound by the principles of God's word. As we stated, the wilderness period ended in 1798 with a capture of the Pope by Napoleon's general, Berthier. Here's where the prophecy becomes fascinating. We know now that God would raise up his end-time people sometime after 1798. This is important to note, friends, because it helps make it clear who the remnant church is today. Since God's woman of Revelation 12 hides or disappears out of sight for 1260 years, then God's woman, his church, must come back onto earth's scene after 1798. Just like in the days of Noah, Abraham, and Moses, God had a special commandment-keeping people, throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, the Dark Ages, so it makes logical sense that he would have his followers, his church, in the world's last days. The identifying characteristics of God's last day people is found in Revelation twelve seventeen. God's remaining church is the church that will preach the final warning message to the world. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. In the last days, God will raise up a people who love him so much that they obey him and keep his law. In the heart of his Ten Commandments, we discover the very basis for worship. We exalt God because we are his created beings. 
The Sabbath command leads us to worship Him supremely as the Creator of heaven and earth. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 10. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. This is important to Jesus, that his remnant group follows in his footsteps by keeping the seventh-day Sabbath. Here are the people of the new covenant. God says of them in Hebrews ten sixteen, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. God's people are not some super saints. They are weak and make mistakes and require God's forgiveness. They acknowledge that they need their Savior Jesus. God has placed His law in their minds so they know it and in their hearts so they love it. Let's discover more. The book of Revelation describes this last day people as having two characteristics. They keep the commandments, all of them, and they have the testimony of Jesus. The Bible defines the testimony of Jesus in Revelation 19.10. It says, The testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. Well, that's clear. God's last day people will be guided by the gift of prophetic word. In 1 Corinthians 1.7, So that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The church waiting for the coming of Jesus will not be lacking any spiritual gift. One of the gifts of the Spirit is the gift of prophecy. If the gift of prophecy was needed in the first century church to guide it and protect it from error, it will certainly be needed in the last day church. All the gifts of the Spirit will be manifested in God's church. It will be a powerful, Spirit-filled church that impacts the world. He will bless His church with unusual prophetic insight. There will be dramatic breakthroughs. The Holy Spirit will be poured out. Thousands upon thousands will become part of His spiritual community. Jesus commissioned His disciples to go into all the world. The true church will be a worldwide body committed to Christ and obedient to His Word. He said in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. In every age, God would have people who respond to His grace, commit their lives to Him, and obediently follow Him into baptism. Revelation 14.6 describes this last day movement. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Friends, this is not a little non-denominational movement. This is a worldwide, global movement that is proclaiming the gospel loudly. To fear God does not mean to be afraid. It means respect and give reverence to Him. We glorify God by honoring Him in how we live, both in our diet and lifestyle. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you eat or drink, Do all to the glory of God. 
The angel's message flying in the midst of heaven represents a church, a movement, which calls men and women to the fact that we are accountable to God for our actions. In an age of irresponsibility, God is calling for us to be moral and obedient. God's final message for mankind declares, the hour of his judgment has come. This is a special time in earth's history. No more business as usual. God's final call is to worship the Creator. The Sabbath is part of God's urgent last day message. Jesus hands you these specifications and says, Go find my church. What does He promise when we seek? Luke 11 verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. I treasure this promise. God's remnant will meet the identifying characteristics of the true church in Revelation 12. Through scripture, we can see that God's church will appear after the wilderness, after the dark ages. We studied in Bible prophecy that God's remnant church appears on earth's scene after the year 1798. That is very telling. Friend, the Seventh-day Adventist church qualifies. The remnant will hold the same truths as the New Testament apostles. Teachings will agree with all of the Holy Bible. God's early New Testament church was simple and biblical. God's last day church is simple and biblical. They are the same. The remnant church will teach what Jesus taught. So when Christ said, Lazarus is in the grave asleep, and I I see the Bible refers to death as a peaceful sleep until Jesus comes, And then I learned that when Jesus does come in the sky to rescue us, it's with all the power and glory of heaven. So it is no secret. I then must find a church that upholds Jesus' description and teaches that too. The Seventh-day Adventist Church qualifies. The remnant will keep all of the Ten Commandments, including the fourth, which is to remember the Seventh-day Sabbath. The remnant will lead people back to the Bible Sabbath and worship their Creator, the Seventh-day Adventist Church qualifies. The remnant will have the gift of prophecy. They will proclaim and teach Bible prophecies to the world. Again, the Seventh-day Adventist Church qualifies. The remnant will preach the final end-time message, the three angels' messages of Revelation 14. We studied these verses and saw clearly that the hour of God's judgment has come, and we are to worship Him who made heaven and earth and that Babylon is fallen, and we're to come out of her, and we're not to be partakers of any of her sins. God's church for today must be calling people out of Babylon, not uniting with it. And beware of the beast and his image and his mark. God's church today will be telling people how to avoid the mark of the beast. Jesus says, These are my three important last day messages to take to the world. His remnant church will carry out his instruction because they love him and out of their love for others they want to warn them so they are saved the seventh day adventist church qualifies the remnant god's church will be teaching that god's judgment is now in session and that we must worship and honor him as creator by keeping his sabbath the sign of his creative power the remnant will call people to a total commitment to christ again the seventh day adventist church qualifies 
The Remnant will be a worldwide mission-driven movement, spreading the gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. It will be a movement that accepts men and women of all races, all language groups, and all creeds. A movement that does not believe that God is the God of any one race or people. The Seventh-day Adventist Church is the largest international Protestant mission movement in the world. Established in over 215 of the 237 countries and territories as listed by the United Nations. So the Seventh-day Adventist Church qualifies. The remnant will teach the salvation is only through Christ Jesus. He is the everlasting gospel. And the true church will stress Revelation 12:11, And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. God's last day people are overcomers of sin. They become like their master Jesus. God's church will make it very clear that salvation and righteousness come by faith in Jesus Christ alone. The Seventh-day Adventist Church qualifies. And the Bible tells us that the remnant will exemplify Christ in how they live, maintaining a healthy mind and body. The remnant will encourage people to take care of their total health and treat their bodies like a temple of God, to promote overall wellness in both mind and body, exemplifying the positive attitude of a Christian. We can choose what kind of attitude we live. This reminds me of a simple illustration. An old native told his grandson, My son, there is a great battle between two wolves inside us all. One is evil. It represents anger, jealousy, greed, inferiority, resentment, lies, and ego. While the other one represents good. It is peace, love, joy, hope, humility, kindness, empathy, and truth. The little boy put his head in his hands and thought about it for a while. Then he asked, Grandfather, which wolf wins? The old man quietly replied with a solemn face, The one you feed, son, the one you feed. The Seventh-day Adventist Church has a beautiful biblical health message, and again, it qualifies. In the days of Noah, God had a unique message for all humanity. Noah appealed to men and women to enter into the ark of safety. The majority rejected God's call, but God still had a few faithful people who entered through the ark's door. The faithful stepped out from the majority, away from the popular masses. There was a call to take a step in faith and get into the ark. Today, there is a call to obey God and get into his ark of safety, his church. Noah preached, repent of your sins, come out of the world, get into the ark. Judgment is coming. The end is upon us. The remnant church is preaching, repent of your sins, come out of Babylon, run, get into the ark, the true church. Judgment is upon us. Jesus is coming. The Seventh-day Adventist movement is the only church spreading God's end-time message, His three angels' messages, in full, the everlasting gospel, the mark of the beast, and calling God's children out of Babylon. The warning in its entirety, friends, throughout the whole world, just as Jesus commands us to do. Satan sees the signs of impending doom 
and is currently making his push to gain the loyalty of all the world through his agents, like the Beast of Revelation 13. So much so that almost the whole world is wondering after the Beast. Satan would much prefer that God have no territory left on this planet so that Jesus does not have the right to return and rescue his people. We must stand up for all God's truth, just as Noah did, even though we may be laughed at, mocked, and jeered by unbelievers. As God's remnant, we must live a life of prayer, Bible study, and witnessing to others. We need a generation of believers who are not ashamed of the gospel, the three angels' messages, who will stand on God's holy word above all else. We need a generation that will proclaim salvation is in Jesus' name alone. We need to better understand the power in prayer. It is an act of war. Our communication with Jesus is our armor, our shield in this great controversy battle. We need to learn to fight on our knees in prayer. We must have the kind of personal relationship with Jesus that will help us through the upcoming trials ahead. We must do our very best to represent Jesus and share His words of salvation to others right now. Just as in Noah's day, people must understand that there are only two options. To either choose God's way and get into the ark of safety, or choose popular man's way and be swept away to eternal destruction. People must have a clear understanding of these two options, the Bible or man's tradition. This is the battle of good versus evil. The Bible tells us who wins, King Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, God has only ever had a small percentage of humanity. Think about it. A small remnant who follow his commands completely and wholeheartedly. Consider this. Noah entered the ark as the minority, but he stepped off the ark as the majority. Our Jesus offers his matchless power as a free gift. With Jesus' power, we cannot fail. Satan's fury need not affect us. He is already a defeated foe. He was defeated in the war in heaven and cast out. He was defeated by Jesus at the cross and lost his dominion. He will be defeated legally in his case in the great and final judgment. He will again be defeated when he attacks God's holy city. And finally, he suffers the defeat of being blotted out from the face of the earth in the lake of fire. Before he suffers his fate, the enemy of God does not want the world warned. Satan feverishly builds walls up and places roadblocks in the way of spreading the gospel. Friend, make sure nothing or no one stops you from attending and learning your Bible during this series. Satan is like a roaring lion, knowing that his time is short, and he tries to discourage us in every which way. But these barriers, borders, and obstacles and obstructions tumble down just like the walls of Jericho when we call on the power of Jesus. My friend, with God as your leader, there are no walls, no borders, and no limits that He can't help you overcome. My friends, we know there is only one perfect Christ crucified, one empty tomb, one 
risen Redeemer, who is coming back soon. Do not be tempted to dilute the power of God, to just be pleasing to the ear. Now is not the time for placating. Time is marching closer and closer to when the last trumpet will sound, and then there will be no more. People crave truth that they can put their wholehearted trust in. They need to know who they can bank their eternal lives on. Jesus only. Let us not be ashamed of our King or be concerned about being peculiar. Every person who makes God the ruler of his life will be considered peculiar. But this is the faith we need. This is the experience that we must have. We must stand out from the world and be different if we are to be the sons and daughters of God, the heirs of heaven. All through the ages, God has had moral heroes, and He has them now. Those like Joshua, Daniel, and Elijah were not ashamed to be His peculiar people. My friends, those that stand for Jesus in these last days, He will stand for you in the courts of heaven. The commandment-keeping Seventh-day Adventist movement is the only church spreading God's end-time message throughout the whole world. Just as Jesus commands us to do, we must stand up for all God's truth. As His remnant people, we must live a life of prayer, Bible study, and witnessing to others. We need to be the generation of believers who are not ashamed of this book. We need to be the army of believers that hates to be lukewarm and will stand on God's holy word above all else. We need to understand the incredible power in prayer, that our communication with Jesus is our armor, our shield in the great controversy battle. Jesus wants you as his forever. Do you want him and his ways? Is it your desire to be a commandment-keeping Christian? Do you long to be united with God's end-time remnant? Friend, are you thinking about being baptized? Jesus is coming soon, and He desires to spend eternity with you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that you seek us and you hear our faintest cries. Even at just the whisper of your name, Jesus, you would send out an army to rescue us from the darkest places. Lead us into your truth. Take us by the hand and carry our loads when they are too heavy. Alert us to the snares of Satan that might trap us. Make the way clear when life seems muddy. We courageously follow in your footsteps tonight. Give us the strength, Lord, not to cower or compromise under outside pressures, but be firm in our convicted hearts. We want to stand by you as your chosen remnant people. Save us in your kingdom to come. In Jesus' precious, powerful name, amen. We have two more topics left in this series. Our final topic will sum up the great controversy, the unseen war that we are in. But first, please join us tomorrow night where we will study what to do next once you recognize God's true church from Scripture in our topic, The New Life, on Unlocking Bible Prophecies. Choose God's way. Good night, friends.